0: Today we have a special speaker and his name is Taylor Thomas with the Crossroads Youth Center out in Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Looking at scripture, I've come to draw from a few examples of believers who have gone before us in order to understand the Lord's view of success. Okay, So I'd like to briefly try to do three things. I'd like to try to one, define success, two, understand success as the Lord portrays it in scripture. And three, address how we might walk in a successful manner. Okay? I'm going to try to work through these a little bit. Defining success. Now, it becomes tricky to define success, given the reality, because we live in a world where most people don't esteem God or value God's ways. God's economy is different than man's economy. God places a distinct value on persons, on individual people's lives, and the entirety of a person's life. As opposed to, we, we often get, as an expendable, valuable, uh, expendable value of measurable accomplishments. So a lot of times, people may just be tossed around, seen as, you know, you're a number at work that accomplishes a task. If you can't fulfill that role, then I'm sorry, but you have to go. And so sometimes in the world around us, that's how we see things. Even in, even in the Christian world, sometimes we look at how many decisions have, have there been for Christ. How many baptisms have there been? Those sorts of things, which aren't bad things to look at and be able to um, be able to say, hey, praise God for these things that are going on. But God's economy is often different in terms of our individual lives and how we live things out. And so let me first, as we look at defining success, let me define sin. Okay? Then you'll understand how this definition relates to understanding success. Philosopher and theologian Robbie Zacharias says, sin is a violation of purpose. I like that definition. Sin is a violation of purpose. Okay? So when a person rejects what God has intended for them or rebels against his ways, he or she is violating their God-given purpose. So all of us have a God-given purpose. God-intended purposes. That when we reject them, or we rebel against what the Lord's ways are, then we find ourselves sinning. We find ourselves violating what the Lord has for us. When we come to success, then, we find it must have something to do with God's intended purpose for a human life. Okay? So, number one, success, as we try to define it, is being faithful to God's intended purpose. Okay? Faithful to God's intended purpose. Faithfulness in ministry. And faithfulness of a life of faith. Let me say that again. Success is being faithful to God's intended purpose. Faithful in ministry. Faithfulness of a life of faith. Okay? So all circling around faithfulness. Number two. If you have your Bible... Could open the Second Timothy chapter four. There's many passages that we could go through, but I want to draw from Paul's experience in order to better understand success or faithfulness as the Lord portrays it, using Paul's life example. So it says in Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight: For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we take a step back. And Paul is writing his last letter to Timothy. His last letter ever. Okay, He's in prison. He realizes, I've come to the end of my life. And he's about to die. And yet he's so confident. He's so confident. He talks about how he has fought the good fight. He has struggled in this fight of faith. He has pressed forward. He talks about how he has finished the race, he's come to the end of the race that he has run. After Jesus, and how he has guarded or kept the faith that has been entrusted to him. God has given it. And so he has been faithful. What I see here is Paul speaking of a lifetime of faithfulness to God's purposes for him. Now, does does Paul mean to say? Because when we look at when we look at this and we think sometimes, we look at Paul's life, it's like, I mean, Paul, there's no way. I, I read about you, I know that. What you have lived out isn't necessarily the case for me. And I strive to follow your example. But I feel like, Paul, there's no way I'm going to ever be as spiritual as you. Paul is speaking of a lifetime of faithfulness to God's purposes for him. Okay, There's a big picture that's here. Does he mean to say that he never got knocked down in the good fight of faith? Or he never tripped up in the race toward Christ? Is he saying one should never struggle with doubts? So we look at it, and I don't think that he is. What are God's intended purposes for you and me? I think people often ask a similar question. As we we think about what God's will is for our lives, what God's purposes are, people will say, what is God's will for my life? I mean, I'd like to know. I would think that's a valid question to ask. If you've been walking with Jesus for any manner of time, if you have a relationship with him, it's a good question to ask. God, what's your will? What's your desire for my life? How is it that you want me to walk? And so, I think that that's probably a good question to be able to step back and say, okay, we often want to know the specifics. Well, God has revealed in scripture his general will for our lives. It's true for every believer when we have the Bible that we ought to pray, that we ought to spend time with the Lord, in a relationship with him, talking with him, bringing our anxieties before him, thanking him, drawing near to him, asking for things because we need the Lord's help, asking for his provision. We ought to be sharing the gospel at some point or another, being able to try and build relationships in which we're being able to communicate who Jesus is. It's true for every believer. It's true for every believer that we should be seeking to give from what God has provided for us and our resources. We should be singing to the Lord, giving Him praises. Okay, There are things that are God's general will for every Christian. It's true, no matter how young or old you are, in the position you are, there are certain things that are just true. And I believe that If we are asking ourselves, well, what is God's will for my life, and we're looking for specifics, how are we doing with being faithful in the things that we already know to be true? When Scripture speaks about certain things, am I praying for those who persecute me? Am I seeking to love those who hate me? Those are some things that are generally spoken and yet are true, and I believe God says that if we're faithful with little, he'll entrust us with more. And so we have to first ask, God, what is is your will generally speaking in my life? So God's intended purposes for you and me are laid out in Scripture. The same thing that was true for Paul. It's just that he was given specific tasks at a specific time where he had to walk that out in a way that might be different than the rest of us here today. And that's okay. That's the beauty of being in Christ. We all have a different role within the body. We don't have to look at somebody else and live up to their standard or compare ourselves to them in a way of feeling condemned or esteeming them more than anyone else. And we can look to the Lord and say, God, you see me as your son, your daughter. You are, you are excited about my life. You desire to me walk in faith. You believe in this thing, my life of faith, more than I believe in it for myself. And so, God, thank you. Let me walk faithfully in what you've called me to do. So we wrestle with what that looks like, the specifics of following after Jesus in the body of Christ. So when Paul spoke of a lifetime of faithfulness, he didn't say anything about how many people made decisions for Christ. He didn't say anything about pensions and retirement. He didn't talk about popularity and prestigious education. All of those things can be fine. But Paul wasn't speaking in regard of those things. Which brings me to the third thing that I wanted to address with regard to success. How we might walk in a successful manner. I want to paint a broader picture and then hope to stir up some specifics for you to think through. So a lifetime of faithfulness. If you look at verse 8, it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what's interesting is he paints this broad picture. He's like, listen, it's not just for me, Timothy. It's not just for me, believer. But for all who have loved his appearing. He says, the Lord, the righteous judge, he will at some point in time award to you a crown of righteousness. Beautiful. What does it mean to love? When he says love the Lord's appearing, what what does that look like? Because again, he speaks in a general sense, but we want to gather some more understanding about what it is that he is trying to say. We can have a clearer understanding. Well, this the word love that we find here, we try to go through some some technical aspects of this. Love, it's a love of reason. Okay, the love that's spoken here. Agape, I'm sure you've heard it before. Okay? It's something that is an esteem. It's not born from emotions. It doesn't just arise out of emotions. But there's there's reasoning involved. There's a recognizing certain things. So with the believer, it means actively doing what the Lord prefers. With him, by his power and direction. True loving is always defined by God. It's a discriminating affection, interesting. Discriminating affection which involves choice and selection. So there's a process of discriminating against certain things. If I love the Lord, then it means if something comes in conflict with that then I may, in the process of conflict, in my love and pursuit of Him, I'm going to have to hate that thing and say, No, I deny that thing for the sake of embracing the Lord. And so I can't both love the Lord and love the world at the same time. Those two things don't click together. So there's a discriminating affection which involves choice and selection. Okay, An example, embracing God's will or choosing his choices and obeying them through his power. Okay? So when Paul speaks of the ones loving Christ appearing, he's writing of those who have preferred the Lord's ways, actively looking forward to his glorious appearing. Okay? So there's a conscious recognition that the Lord is going to return. I'm living in light of that, and that is my desire. I prefer your ways, Lord, over what I could settle for here. And so I'm reaching towards you. I am striving. So he's speaking about those of us who were weak, very weak in themselves to forgive malicious wrongs done to them. And yet drew strength from Jesus to release the wrongdoer from being the object of bitterness and resentment. He's speaking of those who were at times internally conflicted, who were at odds inside themselves, somewhere between conceit and humility, wavering sometimes confident in one's own position or possessions or practices, forgetting who it was that had given to all mankind life and breath and all things. We who struggle in that way, at many points, though, are confidence resting in Jesus' blood and righteousness, where conceit has no place and the Lord's burden is light. These ones that he speaks of who love is appearing are these ones who knew... That very many times, they suffered defeat. They gave in to temptations. And often, it hurt a great deal. Feeling something like brokenness in their lives. But, over faith's long haul, they rose and they rose again. They struggled against their own fleshly desire. In life's valleys where it was dark. And near the beauty of the mountaintops. They longed for Jesus to appear again and restore his righteous order. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I want to see you face to face and be changed once and for all. This is my desire, God. Please change me into your likeness. I don't want to look like this world any longer. These individuals who love his appearing... are ones who someday will kneel before the majesty of the righteous judge and have that crown of righteousness which Jesus has specifically made and prepared. They will have it placed upon their very own head by his, his very own hands. And so as you live this life, and you look forward to his appearing. The Messiah will award you as you continue faithfully. In the course of life, the one who loved Messiah's appearing made a striving to choose God's choices. It's when you draw from God's strength to do God's will, time and time again. It's when you're conscious of him. You sin. You failed to fulfill God's intended purpose in that instance, but has God done with you now? Is that that the end? No, that's not where God wants to leave you. You confess your sin. You turn from it. You turn to him. It's not over yet. You rise up again. You talk with Chuck. You talk with Mel. You talk with Katie. You talk with Kim. You ask for prayer. You go to God with the moments of failure, and you recognize them as moments. They're individual moments, but Christ can redeem those moments, and He is redeeming you, and He commits to do so. He's not going to let go of you. So continue pressing on towards Him. And as Paul says, fight the good fight of faith, run the race that's set before you, keep the faith. It's kind of like prayer for a wayward child. What is success? I mean, how do you measure success in that? Right? You can't see the whole picture for the person's life. But I believe success lies in praying faithfully for that individual. Will they ever return? Unfortunately, we don't know. So we turn to another place, 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And this gives us, as we look at the broader picture of success... And what it means to love the Lord's appearing, like Paul did. John writes to us, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And you have the idea of Jesus appearing and not shrinking back from him. And that means that there's a confidence where does that confidence lie? Where does it come from? Is it in hours of personal accomplishments? Is it in wealth or wisdom? In the number of people who come to faith as you proclaim the gospel? No, look at what what it says in verse 28. John's instruction is to abide where? It's to abide in Christ, in Him. To remain in Him. Remain in Jesus. Stay there. Don't depart from who he is and what he's done. Don't leave from what he is teaching, what he has taught. Be present in his righteousness, not depending on our own, but looking to him, even when we sin, even when we fail, knowing that it's not over, that the Lord will keep us, remaining in his accomplishments and in what he desires to accomplish in us. That's where we draw strength from, his steadfast love for us. We bask in his attributes. It's kind of like marveling in the riches of his grace. When I think about basking in his attributes as an aspect of abiding in the Lord, of abiding in Christ, sometimes it's easy for us to tell other people, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that Jesus loves them. But it becomes so often difficult for us to step back and say, Lord, you love me. And yet that's the very place that God wants us to be, is to let the Lord love us, is to stop and bask in the reality that he loves us and that the riches of his grace are for us. His favor is for you. It's being in wonder at his great mercy, his holiness, or the reality that he is justice, being able to stop and breathe And reflect on the Lord's attributes, on his character. So it's confidence in Christ and drawing from and yielding to his love. The love that he has for you and the love that he wants to demonstrate through you. That's what abiding looks like. And I think a life of faithfulness, a life of success, looks like from the day to day, a life that abides in Christ. Sometimes it's hard to list all the specifics of what that looks like because there's ups and downs. There's sometimes falling on your face. There's making mistakes. There's really messing things up pretty bad, it seems like, and wondering how I'm going to recover from this. And yet, you repent, you turn to the Lord, and you find His forgiveness, and you begin again. And you remain in Him, and you say, Lord, you're all I've got. Let me be here with you. Let me, let me get up again. Let me rise again and try to continue on in faith. So this is the broader picture of a lifetime of faithfulness from day to day. And then you have a faithfulness in ministry, which as we think, sometimes we think, well, we're not all in ministry. Maybe you've heard from, uh, from Chuck or you've learned over time that ministry actually applies to all of us. When you think of faithfulness in ministry, it applies to every single one of us when we regard Paul's words to the Corinthian church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And so Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There you go. You're all, you're all deemed ministers, okay? You have a ministry of reconciliation. And he says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so faithfulness in ministry... It does relate to every single individual in here. Because God has placed you in the body of Christ. And if he has saved you, he has then sent you out. And now you have opportunity, having been reconciled to God. Someone made an appeal to, made an appeal to you, the Lord worked through them, and you came to Christ. And now you have a responsibility, a privilege, of being able to come to others and approach them with the message of reconciliation And see that they might come to the terms of surrender and loving kindness of the Lord. And they might yield themselves and find mercy and grace. And so our faithfulness isn't based on the response. He doesn't say, well, you know, here it is, how many people come to Christ? And that's something successful. He talks about what our role is. And so faithfulness isn't based on the response of those we reach with the gospel. Okay. So as we try to press forward and we think about the ministry that we have, that will look different for each of us in terms of how we work that out. But the Lord has called us to faithfulness, and God wants us to succeed. Every person that's in here, he wants you to succeed. Perhaps not in the way that we might think of success typically, but the way that the Lord views success. So that when you come to the end of your life, you can stare and look dead in his face and find eyes that look with compassion and grace and strength and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Look at what all I have prepared for you. I've been waiting for you to come home. And so at that appointed time, the Lord will award you for your faithfulness. In the meantime, I want to leave you with 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13. And Paul says in the same letter we started with, he says, Hey, Timothy, listen, the saying is trustworthy. You can bet your life on this. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. And if the Lord has put his spirit inside of you, you have died with him. And he will will not deny the spirit he has put within you. He will not deny himself and the promises he has made. And now he's committed himself to you. You will live with him. And yet there's that aspect of enduring, that faithfulness that Paul talks about. Listen, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. And so for each one of us, enduring that faithfulness will be our success. So that we will reign with him. So that at some point in time, God will give to us. And we will reign with him in the millennium. He says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. God will be faithful. Even when we struggle and we lack faithfulness, and it seems like it's barren, the Lord will remain faithful. And so when our team comes to the question of success, we try to be faithful week after week. We try to be faithful in sharing the gospel and taking time to sit with students, struggling through what it means to love, Sometimes it's really messy. It's really sticky. Why? Because I'm struggling in my own life. I'm wrestling with my own issues. And here I am with you now, and I'm not sure what it means to love you. Because I don't want to condone the way you're living. And yet at the same time, Jesus was so caught up that he was wrongly labeled as a friend of sinners. Someone who was, he was a friend of sinners, but labeled in such a way that he was spoken of in a negative connotation. And yet he spent so much time, and it was messy, it was sticky, but he gave of himself freely to love. And so we try to do that without compromising the gospel. And in your life, when you think about faithfulness, the Lord will remain faithful even when we're faithless. And so as you minister, as you love the Lord, know that he will keep you. He will care for you until the very end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. You will never leave us. You won't abandon us. Lord, you are true. You are worthy. You're worthy of our faithfulness. I want to thank you that you understand our moments of faithlessness. I want to thank you, God, that You forgive that there's an abundance of understanding, of grace, of compassion for us, for we who struggle. And at the same time, we can still be called those who love your appearing. We can still struggle in the fight of faith. We can still wrestle and run the race. Lord, thank you for this privilege, for this responsibility, for this opportunity that you give us wherever we find ourselves in the body of Christ, with whatever ministry you've given to us, thank you that it's your joy, it's your desire to entrust us, Lord, as stewards, to be faithful in what you've called us to. Lord, and at the end of it all, you've prepared a place for us. And you will be faithful to bring us home. Lord, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. God, help us in this endeavor. In Jesus' name we come. Amen.